0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Clark Coffey, and with me, as always, is the amazing Cullen McFader. What's going on, Cullen?
1: (laughs) Yes, maestro Cullen McFader.
0: (laughs) Ah, gosh, wait, whoa, why did, Ah! You know, Maestro
1: McFader. I, I'm, I I screwed up.
0: Can I try it over again? Okay, I'm your host, Clark Coffee, and with me, as always, Maestro McFader. There you go. That's pretty. That's a good one. Yeah. It makes sense, and it's linguistically well,
1: pleasing as well.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you know, uh, I guess we've given away. Uh, the film that we're discussing today, although, you know, of course, it's not like If the title, the title didn't tell me. Ti- t- I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, I, I mean, I feel like people are out there, you know, they're, they're auto-downloading our podcast. They don't even need to see the title. They're like... There you go, true, man. Yeah. We, we know that we're going to be experiencing excellence. We don't care what movie they're discussing. We're here for Clark and Cullen. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's my hope. Uh, that's my fantasy that is also totally, <laughs> 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 oh, who knows? Who knows? I don't, we should, I shouldn't, I shouldn't down my, you know, we're, I, hey, you know, I'm sure there's a few people out there who appreciate what we do and that's awesome. Um, and that's all that matters. Um, and we have fun doing it and that's what matters. But anywho, um, yeah, so uh, we're going to be discussing Maestro. Uh, and, and this is, you know, a little bit different. Now, we've discussed Uh, you know, contemporary films. I mean, I think the last film that we discussed um, was, I can't remember the year of its release, but that was a contemporary film, correct?
1: Yeah, I think 2020, late 2020. Yeah, Um,
0: but here we have a film that is now, I was going to say like currently in release, but not really. It's a Netflix, you know, film and... It, its theatrical re- uh, release, at least here in the states, was exceedingly tiny. Now, Cullen, you said that it was playing theatrically up in Canada. If I'm not just mistaken. just limited, like a same okay, thing. Okay, very I, limited. I, I think yeah. it was
1: just at the uh, TIFF Lightbox here. Yeah, um,
0: but but it's 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 a contemporary film. Um, you know, we we just had the Golden Globes not too long ago. Of course, um, it was nominated for several. I think four, if I'm not mistaken. It won none. Um, But it's going to be in the running, I'm sure, for some Oscars. So, yeah, it's interesting that we're going to be discussing uh, such a contemporary film that is Mm -hmm. still kind of, you know uh you know being discussed right a little bit at least um, yeah i thought
1: that was interesting because again like you said we've we've done well modern <laughs> movies that have just come out or, or have been released in the last few years but this is the first one where it's kind of right. like well a new new release you know? yeah
0: and and i figured you know and i and i have to say you know generally i i prefer not to do that uh one just because my taste tend to lean uh, uh towards older films and so i'm just like excited Kind of more generally uh, to to discuss older films, um, but also because I don't know if sometimes it feels a little weird to me to 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 get um, overly you know critical of a film where you know I mean everybody who's was a part of making this film ho- hopefully is still around you know. Mm-hmm. Um, And I have to admit, I mean, after we recorded the last episode, um, I felt a little, it's kind of weird, and maybe this just speaks to my own psychology as much as anything else, but I almost felt kind of bad, you know, because I feel like, I mean, I hope I didn't come off as like being, you know, uh, like critical just for the sake of being critical of that film. I felt like, so I don't know, you know, it's like if anybody who listened to our last episode, wow, okay. There we go, Cullen. Cullen's just I like t- he's just Jeez, like I'm throwing t-
1: things on the ground. He's just, you because know, I, I'm just I, so upset. I, I
0: oh my gosh. Uh, no, but I, you, don't I don't know what I, that was. <laughs> I, 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 you're, but um uh, but I I don't know. You know, it's weird. So so I guess what I'm trying to say in my own long-winded, roundabout way is that sometimes I just feel uncomfortable uh, t- discussing current films. I know that you know it's extremely difficult to make a good film and everybody sets out to make a good film that's everybody's intention when you sit down to make a film and it's exceedingly difficult and Mm -hmm. um you know so so sometimes it's challenging to be critical or discuss aspects of a film that you you didn't like that didn't kind of meet you where you are you know when it's current
1: so and it also I mean it can be tough too because I mean when you when you're talking about a movie that's 30, 40, 50 years old, there's so much kind of a cultural lexicon to pull mm. from of, of opinions true. Of, of of like That's kind of true. academic study of whatever movie. Yeah. Whereas when it's brand new, um, you really only have what you've your opinion. from, which can be good in a way, but also well, can be challenging because you don't really get this, this kind of and that's what we're doing the cultural impact it is right yeah.
0: and and so, and so we're going to step out of our comfort zone a little bit uh in both of those ways and uh this will be an experiment for us we'll, we'll see how it goes and so you'll be listening to it uh as we do it because we don't edit anything uh you listen to it as we say it mm-hmm. so uh but yeah um so maestro 2023 it's a netflix flick directed by bradley cooper written by cooper and josh singer uh, produced uh, amongst other people because, you know, every, like, films, every film nowadays has, like, 27 producers. Yes. But yeah. notably, Scorsese and Spielberg. Uh, of course, stars uh, Cooper and Carrie Mulligan um, amongst some other uh, great actors and actresses. And, uh, well, yeah, let's uh, get that trailer going.
1: If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can not make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny.
0: Hello, Felicia. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, Tell me
1: about her. Oh, it. she's wonderful. She's a lovely girl.
2: What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. Please, I know exactly who you are. He can be the first great American conductor. There's a price for being in my brother's orbit, you know that.
1: that it, it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. I don't
2: even know how much you need me to know. I might. If Summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. Nothing sings in you and you can't make music.
0: All right, Colin, before we get into discussing Maestro, I want to talk to our listeners about productivity, creativity, Writing, you know, a few episodes ago, uh, we talked a little bit about writing and just kind of like the challenges that exist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a creator, as a filmmaker, as a writer, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever your art is or whatever, uh, you know, whatever it means to you to to like be productive in your day. And, you know, we kind of we talked about um, this little elixir that we've been introduced to called Magic Mind. And I, wanted, and I want to talk to our listeners about this too, because I've been drinking this now for a while and I'm really impressed. It's one of the things that I'm really challenged by. And I think that we've talked about this before and it's something that you're challenged by too. And I think every creative person, every writer, every, I mean, no matter what, again, whatever your medium is, I think procrastination uh, is a challenge for everybody at some point. And, um, and for me, I will take all the help That I can get. And so Magic Mind is this, it's this really cute little shot uh, that's an optimized blend of adaptogens, nootropics, functional mushrooms. And one of the things that I really love about it, well, you know, let me, let me even take a step back. So with this procrastination stuff, so I get up in the morning, right? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I do. I do. I actually get up in the morning. Sometimes, I, I, sometimes. I, <laughs> I, I used to get up in the afternoon. No, that was a really long time ago. So I, I'm old now. So I, I actually do get up in the morning. And I, but I am not a morning person. I mean, I'm, I'm seriously not a morning person. And, and so, but I'm also pretty sensitive to my internal states. And they have a big impact on me. As far as like feeling ready to sit down to write or or honestly to do hardly anything, but especially Mm -hmm. to write because that's such a a sensitive, uh, personal, vulnerable thing, process for me. And, you know, so I'm not a morning person. I've got this really important yet challenging task ahead of me. And one of my big challenges is kind of striking this perfect balance of being energized but not overly stimulated and definitely not anxious. And the thing is, is that I don't like the taste of coffee. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. And I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people do enjoy coffee, but it's, it's really, I was going to say coffee's not my cup of tea, but (laughs) but I I really just, (laughs) I I really just don't enjoy the taste of it. And, And, and I think even if you do enjoy the taste of it, you know, having, it's just like the same thing over and over and over. Um, Might get kind of boring. So even if you do like coffee, I think you're going to actually really enjoy Magic Mind because it can also be an adjunct to coffee, which is really cool. It's not an either or thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also don't like just your average run-of-the-mill energy drinks, right? Um, Generally, yes, they have caffeine, but they often have way more caffeine than I actually want. And the caffeine kind of hits you all at once in this big spike and kind of overstimulates you and then kind of leaves quickly. And I also don't want either a lot of sugar or the artificial sweeteners, So, which Magic Mind has neither of. So Magic Mind really hits the sweet spot for me, which has been something hard to find. They're easy to use. They're small. They're like these, these cute little shots. They're lightly sweet. They taste surprisingly good. And for me, they contain the perfect amount of natural caffeine, actually for matcha tea, 55 milligrams to be exact. And one of the really cool things about matcha, I don't know, listeners, how familiar you are with these things. Heck, you might be more familiar than me. I'm this barely was, so. This I'm, was relatively. I'm <laughs> no, this is this was like relatively new to me. I mean, mm-hmm. until until the great people at Magic Mind reached out to us and introduced this to me, I, I was new to this too. So, uh, really impressed. Um, but one of the other things: not only does matcha have caffeine, but it has other compounds that slow the absorption of that caffeine by your body and also reduce stress. So basically, these other camp, uh, compounds work together to, present that, to prevent that spike in the cortisone levels and pre- prevent that inevitable crash that can come from ingesting too much caffeine all at once. Uh-huh. I mean, basically, if you want to think about it this way, which works for me, I think, uh, it's like it's like nature's extended release version of caffeine, which is great because it's energizing, it gets you going, it's not too much, but it also lasts a really nice long time so you can get in the groove, you can get in the flow and it's, it's really been pretty freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives me the right balance of long lasting energy and uh, it's really been helpful uh, in overcoming procrastination. When I sit down to create Uh, I've really been enjoying magic mind and I strongly encourage all of our listeners to give it a shot. And speaking of that, Mm Cullen. You can tell our listeners about some of these amazing discounts that Magic Mind has going on right
1: now. Yes, absolutely. So if you use the link in the description um, that we've got down there in our, in our episode notes, um, you've actually, it's kind of a, you get like kind of a triple whammy because Magic Mind actually has a um, a discount going on for January just generally. Um, if you use our code, which is Cinema20, on their website through our link, you're mm-hmm. actually going to get an additional 20% off. Wow. And if you use that code on a three-month subscription, you're actually going to get one month free. So you're kind of, again, getting like a triple whammy of right. benefits. They're like um, stacks. Yeah. Yes, which is which is great. And they're also available at Sprouts now, um, I believe, down in the, uh, the U.S., um, which is a grocery store if you are interested in picking up in person. But yes, I would highly recommend using our links going into our, uh, episode notes there and checking it out because as you said, I mean, morning, like getting the right morning routine down is, is really important, especially for writing. If you're not in the mood, it can basically throw off your whole day as Reynolds Woodcock says in uh, phantom thread, if his morning routine's not right, the whole day is lost. So And the,
0: you know what? And, and absolutely. And I want to say so yes, you're right. The the link and the code uh it are in the notes, but we can give it to you here too. So mm-hmm. the go ahead and hop on their website. It's magicmind.com/jan as in the month of January. So JAN soldiers of cinema as in mm-hmm. Soldiers of Cinema, the podcast you're listening to right now. So, hopefully, they know what the (laughs) uh, podcast is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, but so, but they may not know what the link is. So, magicline.com slash Jan Soldiers of Cinema. And the code, again, like Colin said, is cinema 20 and that's two zero. So, cinema 20, as in Mm -hmm. the number 20. And, um, yeah, take advantage of those, uh, excellent discounts. They won't be lasting forever, Colin, How long will those discounts discounts last? Just for
1: the month of January. So okay, there get you it go. in while you can.
0: Get it in while you can. Excellent. And um, as you
1: know, I, I actually wanted to mention as we get into the movie here a little bit too yeah. that because um, we've never really mentioned this that that oftentimes we have a lot of additional resources in the episode notes generally as well. If right. We've got links right. Links to the actors. Um, sometimes we'll put in. Um, I know for our Empty Man episode, I had a link of. Uh, David Pryor's previous short film in there, right? Um, so a good kind of resource if you're ever interested in what we're talking about um, good point. here and want to find out more, uh, check out the the notes. Um, they usually have hyperlinks in them, so you can just click right from the notes Boom. and get right there. We're on top of it. It's amazing. What can mm-hmm. I say? Technology. Pros. <laughs>
0: All right. So Maestro, um, I, I you know I, I want to tell every you know, so you and I have had zero discussion about our impressions of the film. Did we like mm-hmm. the film? Did we hate the film? Did we did it speak to us? Did it not like I mean we've literally had no pre-discussion about this. So I'm extremely excited right now to hear about Cullen, your impression of the film. It's my understanding that watching it in preparation for this recording is the first time you've seen it.
1: Mm-hmm. Lay it on me. Yeah, so I uh, it's interesting because I'm actually I'm a a fan of Bernstein. Um <laughs> Not okay. in the way that, like, I know, like, I'm not, like, a super fan that I know everything about his life, and I've read biographies and that. I just, I just really right. like his music, and I've, okay. I find him to be a very fascinating person, so I've seen, yeah um, there's a ton of recordings online of him, like, actually working um, and conducting in rehearsals and things like that, and I find yeah. that really fascinating because he's, again, he's a very interesting figure. Um, so when I saw the trailer for this originally, and I saw that a lot of people were kind of having a mixed reaction to it. Like, there was people that were really excited for it. Some people were kind of critical of it and, and didn't and didn't love the look of it. I actually was, was interested. I was immediately hooked because um, I thought it looked good from the trailer. Um, I, again, like Bernstein. I love his music. So I was yeah. really interested in seeing more about his life and especially again as someone who doesn't know that much about his life but is yeah. a fan of his i was like oh this will be a, curious an yeah. easy way to digest slam dunk more more uh information about him right and so definitely went in with with wait wait, wait. Like... And,
0: and and so you didn't watch it <laughs>
1: no so i, I for a long time yes yeah. so no i, I just wanted to in...
0: preface you were
1: super excited to see it but you didn't yeah. So I, I didn't see it in theaters. Um, I had, I could have, like, I just, I think I was just, I've, I'm just, I'm, been I'm, busting your ch- I'm just so, busting your chops. um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I missed it in, yeah. in the theater, which I think actually would have probably been a cool experience just because the mix I'm sure was great in theatrically yeah. with the music and all that. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't like, it wasn't something that I was, was thinking that I was going to love, from mm-hmm. the outset, but I was, it was, it just had my curiosity. Like I was something, it was something that I was curious to see. Um, and so, yeah, I went in with, with an open mind. Um, and I have mixed feelings about it. And I think the mixed feelings are, are interesting. Cause it's not something that's like, Oh, I'm a big fan of Bernstein and it wasn't accurate to his life or blah, blah, blah. It's nothing like that. It's more the stylistic choices that, that Cooper chose both, um, as a director and an actor, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know they were they were interesting, especially I mean, we will going get we'll get it detail, but in detail, but especially like the way that he portrayed Bernstein, I had had it was interesting to me. okay, um but we'll definitely talk more about that. so you so know, you're impressed so you you so you were excited about the subject matter.
0: You were intrigued mm-hmm. to watch the film. And then when you finally watched the film, how did you feel when the credits rolled?
1: I felt like what was to put yeah. it to, to 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 you know paraphrase like Gene Siskel. Um, <laughs> it was a, I thought it was a swing and a miss. I okay. thought that I appreciated Cooper's effort. Like yes. nobody can say that he did not try very very oh, hard here because he yeah. is. Believe me, he is putting in a lot of effort. As is everyone. Yeah. Um, but you can just tell that with every scene that he is really really trying with this. Yeah. Um, but I just think. It's not necessarily that it fell flat for me. Yeah, no. It sort of more just was like a foul ball. But, um, okay, but I, I'm still going to push. But
0: mm-hmm. what was your personal, like, I get, I get it. I get it. You're watching, you know, and here we are. We're like, this is a podcast where we discuss analytically, at least to some extent, uh, films. But I really want to get like a personal like almost as like, did you like the film? Did you not like the film? Did it speak to you in any way? If it did speak to you, in what ways did it? Or did you feel like it would like? Were you, it, you know, did you see what I'm saying? I just wanted to, try mm-hmm. to dig yeah. It. No, I, I would say dig.
1: like I would say that my my feelings were were probably more negative than they were positive. Okay. Um, okay. Like I think I I think I disliked more about it than I liked. Okay. Um, but it, it's like a very. It's also a very in between. Like I wouldn't say that it. Was was a total, total like total hatred. It wasn't total love. It was okay, it was like but a fifty percent mark, and it kind didn't of like move 2. you. out of five, and it didn't uh, move you. You weren't like
0: you you, you didn't really elements were, did moved. certain element like okay. certainly
1: like I again, but but a lot of those elements too were just it's it's that thing when you it's like it's almost like nostalgia where it's not necessarily something nostalgic from my childhood but like yeah how can you not be moved hearing Bernstein's music would be yeah. something that I would say yeah um, and yeah. not only his music but a lot of the music that's used where it's like classical composers mm. and I'm a big fan of classical music mm. so all of that definitely moved me um right. I thought that there were definitely moments as well uh especially were there any the performances the you
0: were there any performances I thought
1: Kerry Mulligan was great okay um she i think did a really really good job um that was kind of the only one that really stuck out to me i think okay. everyone else was pretty like decent yeah. but not necessarily outstanding yeah. and noteworthy um but and i you, think you... that i I think that cooper's performance was also interesting even though i didn't really like it mm-hmm. but i think that there's a lot to talk about with it yeah and...
0: okay okay i just wanted to try to see i didn't want to push you to to go in any one direction or the other i just wanted to try to like wrap my head around what but your, i like, I'm, i am curious to know experience
1: was I'm curious to know what your choice of, of sure. this, because again, it's, it's new. It's kind of a new thing yeah. to, for us to be talking about something yeah. so contemporary. So, um, so what, what made you choose well, this?
0: and and it's not necessarily the type of film that you, you I, I think I would normally pick. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if I've stated it before in our podcast, probably at some point in one of the episodes, mm-hmm. generally speaking, I find biopics to be really underwhelming to say the mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. um, Uh, And and we can kind of delve into that a little more later. But in a nutshell, I just think it's extremely challenging to do. And yeah, I don't even want to get into it here because I think there's some really interesting philosophical discussions to kind of have around, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to take a two hour film, which has to just by the nature of the format be extremely abstracted and symbolic and try to try to kind of capture an entire real person's life. With all of their nuance and complexity. It's just a very interesting choice, right? To kind of make a film. I mean, because you could have made Maestro about a, a fictional character mm-hmm. that had attributes maybe of Bernstein or so. You know what I mean? So but we'll get into that. So I, I'm interested in that. I'm kind of interested in like, well, these buy-up picks. And then that kind of got me thinking, well, like Oscar Bate, we could talk about that too. Like, is this Oscar Bate? Is this, you know, what does that even mean? Um, and then, you know, so I watched the film, the first time I watched the film, I actually didn't get all the way through it. Um, I watched about three quarters or so of the film. I actually, I think turned it off basically in the beginning of the third act. Um, but it was over Christmas, uh, the week of Christmas. I was at my parents with my wife and, um, actually the, the subject matter was just, uh, too intense actually, Mm -hmm. um, because of recent, recent events for my family. So we turned off the film at the third act. And so um, I'd only seen three-quarters of it, well, or two-thirds of it, actually, to be technical. Um, <laughs> and then when we, and then when we, and when we came back uh, home and some time had passed and it was just myself, I watched the film in its entirety, uh, I mean, in, in preparation for this recording. And I, I guess I was interested to just explore discussing a, a current film. I was interested in... Uh, the cinematography of this film. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I found quite a bit of the the aspects of the photography of this film to be appealing to me personally. Um, I was interested in how almost in this like Scorsese aviator kind of way they tried to visually recreate these different eras, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. the 50s and I think is it the 70s, um, now I'm going to be bad for not remembering exactly what even uh, the years, I think it's the 50s and then the 70s, right, early 70s maybe, um, that they replicate. In, and of course, and then the bookends are, are more recent, right, um, than that even um, in the last years of uh, Bernstein's life. Um, so I was interested in the photography, the 4-3, the black and white, shooting on film, I thought the lighting, especially in the black and white footage, was really quite stunning and, and beautiful in some way, in some scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in, uh, I think, more so than most current films. Um, and, a, and like a lot of some of the better 50s films, they used depth better to tell mm-hmm. a story, mm-hmm. uh, especially in that first segment where they're in the 50s. Um, and so I hadn't seen that in a long time. Frankly, in a film, um, in a contemporary film where they had well, used especially because
1: a, a lot of contemporary films are like so shallow in terms of the depth of yeah. field and all that. Like well, very right. very shallow. I <laughs> mean,
0: generally speaking, they're sixteen by nine at the at the you know uh, at the least and two three five or something. You know, so they're generally pretty wide. And right, they generally don't utilize a depth of focus anywhere near. I mean, I think this entire, with rare exception, this film has everything from the four to the furthest background is in focus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that I had been watching a lot of 50s cinema um, prior to seeing this. And I had I had no preconceived notion of what this film was going to be like. Also, by the way, and I know very little about Leonard Bernstein or his music, sadly. Um, so I didn't come into this with any kind of preconceived notion. Or, and, and actually, I'm not a, a huge fan of Cooper's previous work. So it wasn't that that brought me in. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like Carrie Mulligan. I am a fan of her work, um, but it was just on Netflix, and so click, let's watch it. And uh, so it was the photography, I think, that really brought me in first. Um, mm-hmm. and I was, I and I know that um, that you tend to approach a lot of cinema kind of from the visual angle, um, not exclusively, but I know that that's one of your focuses. And so I was curious to hear your thoughts on the photography. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what I think about it. I guess that's why I was grilling you so much, because it's like there were aspects of the film that I found interesting, entertaining, amusing, some moving, also some distracting. Uh, So I guess that's why I wanted to pick it, because Mm -hmm. it, it was a complicated
1: enough film that I'm not quite sure what I think about it. How's that? No, that that is a fair answer. I mean, I it, think what's what's interesting too is I hadn't seen I haven't seen a Star is Born. Yeah. Um so I can't really comment on Cooper as a director from yeah. like a standpoint of like how does he handle <laughs> different material because I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um I do wonder though because he's quite a, a new director and Really, I don't think he really made any like shorts. I think he just kind of went right into a Star Is Born as a as a feature directorial debut, as -hmm. far as I can find. Right. Um, I'm curious to know, like in particular, about the visuals, about like that that depth of field and the the aesthetic choices when it comes to representing these time differences. I wonder how much of that came from. Cooper and how much Mm. of that came from the cinematographer um, Matthew Libatique, Libatique, I believe Mm -hmm. it's pronounced, um, who is quite a prolific cinematographer. Like he has worked with Darren Aronofsky since Darren Aronofsky basically started his career with Pi um, and has done most of his movies. There's a few missing ones in there, but has done like also big blockbusters like Iron Man. Um, He has a very, very prolific career. Worked with Spike Lee. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. um and so i'm Joe curious Schumacher. to know if this is yeah. a situation where not that cooper is like a young up-and-coming filmmaker in his 20s or something but i know that very frequently one of the strategies that that producers will use when there is a a new filmmaker a new director is putting yeah. an experienced cinematographer with them right to kind of keep them on on that sort of right track especially yeah. visually because Sure. Visuals in film are much more complicated than I think a lot of people who perhaps haven't made movies realize. Um, so I do wonder like with those choices about the depth of field and yeah. about the the framing and the aspect ratio and stuff like that, like how much of that was Cooper and how much of that was Libatik. Uh, yeah, and, and I also, the reason that I, I wonder that too is it's, and I think is an interesting point is because this is such a new movie, we don't really like, we don't, there's not a book written about the making of this, right? You can't really get that information. So it's really all speculation. I think that that's an, that'll be an interesting aspect of this episode is that it really is just coming down to what we feel. Um, But no, I think that that was something that like, I've read up a little bit about the, the actual choices they made. And so some of the things were like that they were shooting, they did shoot it on a you know shot on film, but they shot it on black and white film stock as well as opposed to just desaturating color film, right. um, which is, an you know, I, th- I think a good choice. Um, and apparently there was things like where they had to use tungsten, like well, older tungsten lights because of the, the way that the light reacts on those old black and white stocks. Cause black and white film stocks have been kind of consistent since like the sixties at this point. A, a so. while now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not like a, you know, color stocks where there's, they're, they were, you know, constantly being updated. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that it, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, again, to go back to this idea of depth of field and, and like, inspiration, potential inspiration for the look of a lot of the movie, especially the, the segments taking place in the 50s. Um, I, one thing that caught my eye immediately was the wider lenses that they were using, which yeah. is something that normally, if you're trying to, like, because, you know, back in 40s, 50s, even into the 60s you wouldn't usually go wider than like a 35. Like if you wanted more of an actor, be seen, you just pulled the camera back just because wider lenses are less flattering on actors' yes. faces. So yep. you would shoot longer. Yep. Um, so like most movies you think of, you know, if you look back at like Frank Capra films and noirs and things like that, they're all shot with, you know, 35 to fifties as a, as their widest lenses. Right. And so I noticed that, that, it seemed like from my guess that the a lot of the, the uh, black and white segments in this movie in the 50s are shot on something like a 16 millimeter, so a, quite a wide lens. Mm-hmm. And that immediately kind of got me thinking that maybe they were looking at something like Touch of Evil. Even the way the camera moves reminded right. me a lot of Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. And so would, that's... Because Orson would, would use wider lenses. Yeah, or because Orson definitely used wider lenses. Orson also was famous for his use of deep depth of field. Like, even though it was kind of a standard back then, he used it the way that nobody else really I'm, did use it. I mean, I'm pretty um,
0: sure Citizen Kane, like, you know, first film class I ever took, that was like the first thing I ever learned. Mm-hmm. But And even, <laughs>
1: I like, I think about the moment when there's a shot of Bradley Cooper and Carey Mulligan getting on a bus. Yeah. And the way that the camera kind of booms up alongside mm. the bus as they get in reminded me so much of that opening shot from touch of evil yeah um and whether or not that's intentional i'm not sure um but i could definitely understand if they were going for especially you know maybe this is a stretch but especially considering the fact that bernstein is such a esteemed giant of a figure in the music industry and yep. orson wells is kind of a a similar person but in filmmaking like someone who had a gigantic personality who made very bold choices right. who had a, a very was very strong-willed um and who kind of redefined a lot of stuff so i wouldn't be shocked if they had lo- i mean again all speculation but i wouldn't be shocked if they had looked at wells as a something to reproduce just as kind of i don't know as yeah. an inspiration in terms I, of getting something feeling different and new and fresh but in that kind of classic way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, again, it really spoke to me. And like I said, I had been really, I mean, just coincidentally, I had been studying, um, you know, deep focus and using depth, um, as opposed to width to tell story. And, you know, I think there's a lot of that that works really well, again, especially in that first, you know, the first segment of the film that's in black and white, um, you know, maybe not as much as some of the best films that use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but certainly more than you find most contemporary films utilizing depth by far. So I was intrigued by that. And I personally thought the photography was, it was generally speaking exceptional. I mm-hmm. really, really enjoyed the photography in this film by and large. I, I felt like it was very, so confidently shot. I love, I mean, and, and even into the the color era, where we have the camera just sits there, mm-hmm. just defiantly confident, and we let a whole scene play out in wide and one, and it. I mean, it, I just you just don't see that very often, and I absolutely love it. You know, mm-hmm. the the uh, the the Thanksgiving Day parade where Snoopy's flying by the window, and um, Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan have their their kind of come to Jesus meeting, right, where she really calls him out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I mean how many films do you see that have the guts to stick a camera in one spot wide like that and create yeah, this yeah. beautiful tapestry where their actors can just work um, there are several scenes like that um, but the camera also moves in some ways very lyrically you, like the, for example the example you just gave about the bus um, utilizes depth uh, the lighting is exquisite I think in a lot of the scenes Mm-hmm. Um, and when we move from black and white to color, um, I thought the color was really beautifully done. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a sucker. No, for yeah, film. it's a good looking movie. And it, I'm a sucker really, for yeah. film. And I'm a sucker for film. You know that already. So right away, you know, uh, I'm like, whoa. Uh, I always second guess myself, though, you know, especially because I'm watching it streaming, right? And this streaming uh, tends to artifact grain in a way that sometimes makes it hard to tell if it's grain or digital artifacting. Mm-hmm. So I'm always like second guessing myself. I'm like, I got to look up the tech specs, you know, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What was this shot? on? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Well, so, that was okay. actually one of the things that I think when I saw the trailer initially mm-hmm. drew me in was the visuals. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, yeah. it, I just remember thinking it looked really good and and, yep. and, and, and was happy that it was shot on film. And, um, so I, that definitely, yeah, it was, is an aspect that through my whole, Kind of and, relationship with the film, I've I've definitely been stuck and, on.
0: And it's interesting to me too. And I, I, you know, we could go on and on about this. There's so many other areas of the film I want to talk about. And for people who, you know, are like, "Oh, geez, come on, guys, talking about lenses, talking about film stock, <laughs> come on, come on." I, I know, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm interested in the fact that you know, of course, they shot four uh, three, and that makes perfect sense because that's exactly what aspect ratio this would be in the 50s. Um, it's interesting that they stick to four, three with everything with in the seventies <clears throat> where of course you would have actually had, you know, the, uh, uh, progression of widescreen cinema, um uh, mm-hmm. would have been a thing by then, but they stick to four, three except 69. But basically I can't remember if it's one, seven, eight or one, eight, five on the bookends.
1: But, well, see, yeah. Which is like set in the eighties. I think those which bookends is set, are like late
0: eighties. I, I think so. Um, when Bernstein is about 70 or so, I think if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, but, but it I, I think also too we are so because everybody now has widescreen televisions and so very little content is made in four by three, and I think and what I what I think this is a good example of, was the proper usage of four by three. Almost everything is shot indoors. It's all people, and so that height is helpful. You know, mm-hmm. shooting all this stuff, you know, people would be really tempted to like. I want it to look cinematic. And let's, this is a, this is, this is like a big kind of, you know, this is a big deal. This is a big project. Bradley Cooper, Scorsese, Spielberg produce, let's do 235, you know, let's do something big. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is a great example of appropriate use of 4.3 and combined with actually using depth. I I just thought it was really beautiful. I just hadn't seen a contemporary film utilize proper aspect ratio for the subject matter and use depth for storytelling.
1: Yeah. I mean, just before we move on to, I think that it's another one of those things where I think that un- until you've kind of made movies in different aspect ratios, it can be hard to explain how much aspect ratio can affect framing. Yes. Um, and how different they feel like that. They're not, it's right. not just the size of the screen that's changing but it's everything from how you think about how you're framing a shot absolutely Um, and so i think yeah it was definitely very smart on their part too because again you just you are automatically if you're if you're shooting four by three or um you know the academy ratio you're going to frame it the way that these movies were framed when they were shot like that like you're just going to have to because that's just that's just what the pleasant framing to well, the eye looks like in, and in there's, that there, and, aspect ratio. So, and and
0: it's just it's a great way to shoot people's faces indoors. I yeah. mean that yeah. like you know that's just <laughs> you know that's why portraits are basically four three, give or take a yeah. little bit, and not you know two three five. And you know, generally mm-hmm. speaking, for portraits. But let's move on before we bore our uh, portion a large percentage of our audience to death. I want to yeah. talk about I want to talk about performances now mm-hmm. because that's obviously a, a big freaking deal in this film, and Cooper's performance is obviously at the center of this entire production. Uh, there's no escaping it. We're talking mm-hmm. prosthetics. We're talking aging makeup. We're talking accent. We're talking. I spent six years practicing how to conduct, you know. Oh yes, I did I see, mean yeah. like <laughs> I, that. I, I I I mean, you know, and 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 I don't know if Bradley Cooper is a cigarette smoker himself or not, but holy crap. I, I, I want to pause here to just say I have never in my life seen more cigarettes smoked in a film ever oh, than yeah. I have in this film. Especially contemporary movies.
1: They don't I mean, do that anymore.
0: <laughs> I mean I I mean, <laughs> I, I mean I don't know if I think the cigarette needs like there needs to be a new category at the Oscars, like, you know, best cigarette performance. Like, wow. I mean, I know, you know, uh, as a as a sometimes actor myself, it's fun to to eat and to play with things like that in a scene. (laughs) And I think people like Marlon Brando was especially famous for like, you know, eating acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But wow, what a freaking prop. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. nonstop, 24-7. There's not a scene. There's not a moment where the cigarette is not. I mean, <laughs> yes. okay. Yeah. But anyway, moving on from that, though. But my point is this. Cigarette included. His, his performance is is absolutely at the core of this film. You talked about, you know, kind of, uh-huh, you felt like Cooper was clearly trying. But do you feel like that trying went on
1: to be pushing
0: what did your thoughts so on the performance? I, it wasn't even
1: necessarily pushy to me. It was like yeah. it's really difficult for me to gauge from an objective standpoint whether or not I think the performance was good or not. Mostly because I didn't see Bernstein in it at all. Okay, I like, want to talk.
0: I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I
1: wanted, I, and I' sorry to interrupt you,
0: but I think no, no, that, no, no, sure, yeah. Because, because, because here's the thing. So I don't know anything about Bernstein. I don't know any. So before watching this film, I, I literally knew nothing about his life. And yes, I'm, I'm just admitting that I'm ignorant to people out there in the world, at least about some things. I will admit it. Um, but I don't know. I, I knew nothing about him personally, literally nothing. And I know a small amount about his music. I've been exposed to just a little bit of it. OK, I, I mean, literally knew nothing about his life. I didn't know how he sounded. I didn't know how he looked. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I had nothing going into it. So the w- and this is what I what I'm curious to discuss with you a little bit. Uh, I mean, we can move back and forth between this and performances. But so for me, this wasn't really a biopic. For me, mm-hmm. this was a picture about uh, uh, you know a passionate composer and his relationship with his wife. In, his, in how that kind of, in his relationship with his art and, you know, his sexuality to some extent. Of course, that's obviously important to the film and the era in which he lived where that had to remain hidden. But, but to me, it was, I, I didn't have any of the baggage of a biopic. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that actually helped my appreciation of the film
1: because it took all that baggage away, that would make sense. I mean, that's the thing. Is is it, like to get specific, the voice that he's doing. So when obviously there's a lot less footage of Bernstein young than there is old. Right. Um, so when the movie started and it, you've got that little bookend, but after that and you go into the '50s, and I heard the the voice that he was doing. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's it. Maybe that's what he sounded like when he was young and he's going to change it as he gets older. But then he kind of stuck with this, like he's speaking in this it's, cause Carrie Mulligan who plays his wife, whose mm-hmm. name is oh, I'm forgetting her name again. Felicia Felicia. Felicia. Yes. Um, Carolyn, Carrie Mulligan plays Felicia and she's doing this thick transatlantic Atlantic accent mm-hmm. that Felicia, I'm going to butcher her last name. Montelegre, I believe, sure. I don't know, Montalegre, I, uh, I think that's fantastic, um, yeah, you did a great she, job, she, she, uh, spoke in that in real life, you watch any footage of her and she sounded yeah. like that, you know, yeah. she's, you know, well, I going down to the, the dot today, you know, I gotta find, you know, like this very, very thick transatlantic accent, <laughs> Bernstein didn't, like, Bernstein did not speak like that at all, no. and yet Cooper is doing that too, for the whole movie, uh-huh. he's kind of like, "Honey, I don't know why we're talking about this right now." And he's got this kind of thing where it's like it sounds like he's not breathing through his nose when he speaks. And the reason I bring this up is because that's very clearly a choice, uh-huh. but it's a really weird choice. Considering well, it might have much... just
0: been the prosthetic. I it mean, could, it could have been, but like, because
1: if you listen to Bernstein speak, though, Bernstein yeah. has a very like resonant, yeah, deep voice yeah. where he's kind of more like you know like speaking like he's got a he's got a deep voice I don't know how else to say wheres wheres like kind like of plays David. it with this like high-pitched voice yeah. and yeah. even down to like the 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 way that he interacts like again it was one of those things where as the movie was sort of starting up I was like oh maybe this is his youthful phase but then it kind of stuck around whereas like Bernstein again if you watch footage of him like raw footage of him in rehearsal with people he could be very like blunt and not that that movie, the movie doesn't show that, but Mm -hmm. it shows it in a very different way to not again, not that accuracy is necessarily everything, but I, I, the reason I find that it's interesting is because it's like he was making intentionally inaccurate choices in a way. Like that's the only way I can kind of pause it is interesting and like the way that he speaks in, in rehearsal. In fact, I think the only moment that kind of gets that right is that, final bit where he's in a uh, rehearsal with his students where he's like teaching
0: mm-hmm, and the,
1: mm-hmm. the one student can't really get it right. But even then like it was just touching on the Bernstein that I've seen in in these rehearsals where he's very teacherly, but like grumpy old teacher, grumpy yeah. old professor who will right. stop you in the middle of a song and go, Nope, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Let's go again. Nope, yeah, you're yeah. not doing it right. And just like make people do it again and again and again. Right, right, right. right. And I like I I, I'm sure because I I just didn't see much of that in the movie and now I wonder if that was a deliberate choice or if it was so so this is interesting it would have had to be but
0: yeah well there yeah of course I mean we look we have to assume that every single thing in this film was a deliberate choice every single every single thing was deliberate so and I guess this is where you know for me again I didn't have any of the baggage of having heard him speak seen this Mm -hmm. footage watched him compose um I, I, I or or uh, Felicia for that uh, for that matter uh, I had none of that baggage so for me these are just characters on a screen in a movie the same way that every single movie I ever see that's fiction is mm-hmm. and I didn't have any of that baggage and I think that really helped me enjoy this film and I think it speaks to an interesting challenge about what, you know about choosing to make films about real people because mm-hmm. I, I i almost wonder if there's it, you know it's almost like it's almost like you get to borrow i mean i don't want to say you know you're, you're kind of huh, i get why it's easier to to produce right uh it's easier to get funding for a film about leonard bernstein because mm-hmm. well there's a lot of people out there who know him and love him and love his music and there's name recognition and it's almost like an IP. It's like there's a built-in audience to some extent. And so if yeah, you're a studio, yeah. if you're a producer, you're like, hey, yeah, okay, great. Um, and so I get on the, from, from an economic perspective, I understand. And and so we see so many of these buyout picks, whether it's, you know, Queen or it's touring or it's Hawking or it's, you know, I mean, just, oh, you know, King's <laughs> I mean it's just just one after another. It goes and on I, and on and on. Yeah. And I personally have to admit, I think almost all of them just suck. I, yeah. I just I'm sorry, but I really just think almost all of them suck. And and inevitably it boils down to a lot of what you're saying here, which is that, you know, it's like I know Elton John. I know Freddie Mercury. I mean, know them. I mean I'm super familiar with them, right? Mm-hmm. And even people that I'm not super familiar with, Stephen Hawking or you Know touring or whatever. Um, I still like know quite a bit about them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I and and the complexity of their lives. Generally speaking, if you've lived a life worthy of be- even being in the running to have a movie made after you, my guess is that you were super interesting, complicated, nuanced. You did a lot of good shit, <laughs> oops, and you did a lot of bad stuff. Um, and we don't usually curse on this podcast. Is that like the first S? i think we've had a few i think we've had Uh, a um and uh well sorry about that i apologize for the profanity if you are for the children listening for all those children (laughs) for all those really young children out there i am so sorry for those people who have never heard the word shit i apologize um but but right i mean it like if your life was interesting enough to, to to like warrant a film That it almost automatically means that any film made of that life is going to automatically be so reductive that, Mm -hmm. to the point of insulting. And here's the thing: the medium of film. Now, you write a fifteen hundred page novel about somebody's life, you might be able to get somewhere, but you've got two hours ish, two and a half hours. You know, if you push it, three um to tell a story that like just by the necessity of the medium it's like highly symbolic it's highly abstract right and when you're trying and 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 that's why it can work so wonderful for fiction for like clearly out fictional stuff you know it's like you're making a movie about aliens in outer space or you know whatever the heck right but when you add the baggage of like, well, this is like a real person's life and we have to be so, you know, we have to respect it. And the the, the clothes that I'm going to wear as the actor ha- is like literally from his closet.
1: And, you know, and well, we're fe- going to recreate yeah, scenes and, uh, that are like yeah, shot for shot almost for, to what they looked like in real life. And right. That. Where it's like the Edward Murrow, you know,
0: show in the 50s that they were going to like recreate that. And we're going to have them say like verbatim what they said on the show. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's where... The challenge is almost insurmountable by definition. And that's, that's
1: exactly, that's where it loses. Yeah. Like, I, I agree with you 100% where I, my thing with biopics is, like, my I would say my favorite one is probably something like Ed Wood, where yeah. rather than doing something that's concerned with, like, accurately portraying this person's life or even this person, for that yeah. matter, yep. let's do something in... The style of something that he would have done, and so yeah. you're actually kind of—it's almost like that going back to Herzog, like this truth versus fact thing, where it's, yes. it's not yes, factual yes, yes. at all, but yes. you're—it's truthful. You're, truthful. you're truthfully imagining this person's life in you the style it. of their their and artwork, there it is. and I think that that's And there great. it is, and there whereas, it is. Yes. Whereas, whereas here, I find I find that exactly like I, there's there's these moment the the moment when he's playing near the the final. Uh, moments he's playing um mauler's resurrection he's conducting in, yeah in the cathedral right and it's like a you can watch the real footage and it looks the exact same yep, yep. and yep. it's it's you know it's a very faithful reproduction yeah. uh, reproduction of that and that's that is there's merit to that for sure but i find that so uninteresting on a level of like See, like but here's filmmaking I, it's I, uninteresting I'm... if you know yes real well exactly thing. exactly and, and, and that's actually, what i'm got to yeah to, to even to, to expand on that point too though i i watched um recently which actually just a few weeks ago tar with uh yep I've seen it. which yep, is yep. i i loved it and that's about i thought it was a composer good who is yep. a bit hot-headed who yep. kind gets of gets in trouble dishes stuff out to to yep. students things like that and that to me was a much more accurate you know cancel culture, all that stuff aside that the movie well, touches on. But it, that was much more of an accurate portrayal of like a Bernstein-like figure to me than this was. Interesting. Um, and another good one, and we've
0: covered it here, Amadeus. hmm
1: hmm Exactly. You know, which, and is,
0: Sal, which is really about Salieri more yes, than it is exactly. about Amadeus. But here's the yeah. thing. I don't know anything about Salieri. I don't know how much the film, you know, I have no idea how accurate or not it is, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Because the film is not really about that. And I think that's where right you get in trouble now. When I like I said, when I watch the film, I don't know anything about these people in real life, and so I don't see them. I'm not. There's no comparison going on in my mind from scene to scene with mm. the prosthetic, with the voice, with the accent, the dialect, the this, the that, and the other. There's nothing going on like that for me, and I was able to
1: enjoy this film. So I'm I'm curious though with without that connection to go back against that that scene in the cathedral when he's playing Mahler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. That scene just sort of starts. It kind of abruptly cuts into the finale of that performance, and I'm curious, as someone who, who mm. you know isn't familiar with Bernstein and isn't familiar with that mm-hmm. particular concert as well, because it's one of his most famous. Well, and so like well I'm familiar
0: who, with the piece of music. I'm yes, not yeah, yeah. familiar with his composed, but, c- conducting of that in the 70s. As a I'm, famous I'm curious date. to
1: know that when that when it cut to that, uh huh, like did it feel to you? like it was try like that were did you get the feeling of like okay this is clearly an important thing that he did or was it more of a feeling of just like oh this is a, a scene of him conducting i'm not quite like did, did, did the lack yeah. of context so, help with that or, or so hinder it or what
0: well i i think i think there is some context right the, this visual and and kind of like where we are in the movie yes um yeah. the the and the grandeur of it right it's because the setting right so so we we have a um establishing shot of the cathedral and it's mm-hmm. obviously and and that visually kind of says okay this is epic I, I, on in an extremely simple 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 way but right we see this big Cathedral. Okay. Mm -hmm. Epic. He's there. He's in like full tuxedo regalia. We've got this orchestra. We've got this huge audience. We've got this giant cathedral interior. Um, But you're right. The significance of that takes time to build and i'm okay with that like again from my i don't have any of the weight i have none of the baggage of like understanding Mm -hmm. that when this really happened i believe in 1976 that this was a monumental like it's not like
1: queen playing at live aid i mean for me it's not yeah Yeah, 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 i don't
0: know yeah i don't know right like i don't know so it's building though and where i start and so then it's like I mean, obviously the performance is intense. The music is profoundly moving on its own. I mean, the the music does a huge amount of lifting here yes, because yeah. it's an extraordinary piece of music. I mean, it's one of mm-hmm. the most amazing pieces of music ever written by humans. Like, well, who else writes music? We don't know yet. Maybe somebody in the universe. But, um, so so that does a lot of heavy lifting. But we see, and and then of course we get like the you know the the camera starts to move in like really sweeping, beautiful ways, and that almost seem you know, impossible if you're paying attention. Um, and, obvi- and, and the performance is intense, clearly, right? I mean, you have to almost be like moved in some way by the intensity of Cooper's performance, uh, mm-hmm. composing here. Right. Um, and then I think it, where it culminates is when he runs out to his wife. Yes. And they embrace. Yeah. And, and so the, the importance for me is that, yeah. The and that's what I was getting not, at. Too. Yeah. And and yeah. and so that's how it's different. The importance for me isn't this real moment in history in 1976 that is now enshrined on wax and you can go and listen to it and it's moved millions of people and it's considered one of the most, you know, amazing pieces of uh, music and an extraordinary work of conducting that's not none of that is on yeah. me. It's it's like wow there's like this the relationship there's this you know all this strife and all of this difficulty but there's still this like you know and we've had this conversation and that is sort
1: of like a resolution to their the arguments in it, their argument well yeah. it's
0: a, and it's a result like when you conduct there's nothing there's act like he's right throughout the film he's like it's love in my heart it's love for people it's love for and he kind of uses that sometimes it's like well i love too much i love too mm-hmm. much it's why i'm you know, I'm not uh, loyal to you in some ways. I love too much, you know, and that gets me in trouble or that, you know, this, that, or the other. And of course she really presses, and I don't think she means it when she's, when they're in the Thanksgiving argument that we discussed where Snoopy's flying by and they're, you know, it, uh, I don't think she means it. I think that she's trying to really press him where it hurts. She's trying mm-hmm. to press, because she's hurt and she's like, it's not love in your heart, it's hate, it's hate when you get up there you're not trying it's not for the love of the music it's that you're trying to tell everyone who's watching you that you're better than them Mm -hmm. and this is a really interesting question about creation this is extremely interesting question of creation i think and i think it's one of the big challenges that creators face and it, it um and this is a whole different channel like alley that we can go down Mm -hmm. where one of the challenges of creation is that there is always this threat that you're temp like that you're right i mean it's right it's prometheus it's you're gonna fly too close to the sun you're going to that there's a there is a fear of like outshining of intimidating of offending there's like, uh, and so I think there's this really beautiful question. Anyway, bring it back to this. Sorry for that. Um, but but she's like, there's actually hate. And so mm-hmm. then when she shows up, though, later for that performance, and, she, and and they embrace, then when she is clearly moved, it's like, no, what we've seen is love. So that's what I feel... Yeah, and, and that's that's why I wanted to bring up that yeah. scene
1: specifically, just because it is, yeah. again, to reference the the Queen at Live Aid thing, like it's like, it's the Bernstein equivalent of that. Yeah. And yet it plays it into this character moment that, I get like that's why I was curious to know if, if, yeah, what that scene was like for you, and and I find it interesting that you said yeah, like that it it was clearly, very obviously important Personal. and epic and, and yeah you know, deified in this, in this way, yeah. and yet it, it comes down into, and so that's, that's actually one of the things that I think I also want to touch on too about, about the Cooper's direction. Okay. Cause I think, you know, of course, obviously the performance is right there front and center. Yeah. Um. But I, when I found out that Scorsese and Spielberg actually both, were in the line to direct this mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. dropping it. Of course, as he dropped out to do the Irishman and Spielberg, I think just gave it to Cooper or Cooper because he saw Starsborn star Is born. And I yeah. and said, you know, you take this. Yeah. um, I, th- I wonder what, like, I, again, you can, it's just kind of playing hypotheticals at that point, but I do, I right. wonder what the approach would be when like, we talked. You talked a little bit earlier about like this Oscar bait thing, and that it is yeah. it is it is pretty classically like I want to win an Oscar to direct and write and star in like a <laughs> monumental <laughs> biopic and be like I'm mm-hmm. you know this is mm-hmm. this is my my chance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I I like again because of the fact that it's difficult for me to kind of discern as to like I think that Cooper clearly is doing like a. a good job of playing this character that he is playing Mm -hmm, despite mm -hmm. the fact that I don't think that it is very much like Bernstein but he Mm -hmm. like in the context of the film it works yeah um I wonder if it was a pro or a con of the fact that he was also directing it like I I just Mm. wax Mm. on this hypothetical of like if he wasn't and if he if he was just because i think the thing is mm-hmm. when you get someone like this too who who has only directed two movies who has starred in both of the movies that he's directed mm-hmm. that it is you know not in a like not in a negative way but there is like an ego thing to that obviously like obviously if you're like you have to have an ego to well, be really an artist I in think- general like and, but not, agree.
0: yeah, And the, the caveat I would add, add to that is that I, I think many people uh, have an automatically and exclusively negative connotation to the word ego. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would just add to this that, that I think a confidence, I you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, again, no, I don't mean I, it inherently I, negative, I, I but I mean that you have let to me have a some level color. of. Let me add some color to it, though. I mean, I think sure, you're yeah. right. But I mean, it's like, it's like, okay. I mean, let's assume, given how much of Cooper's life and time he put into this, that this was something he was profoundly passionate about. Um, yes, you have to have ego, but I think it's it's not necessarily like all this. It can It can still be blinding, so don't get me wrong, but I feel like it can be almost like a calling or like, this is so important to me, this means so much to me that I want to control it. And yes, you're right— that re- that requires ego but there's also it's not just ego there's passion and love mm-hmm. and you know there, and, and so it's a mixture of stuff but yes i think yeah no I, and I i don't
1: yeah. mean uh, ego like again i yeah. even to, to me to be able to to be able to make a a movie or any work of art and show it to people requires to, a level yeah. of, of ego and not again, not in a negative, like I'm an egotistical maniac, but just more in the sense that you have to believe in yourself. You have to, you, you have to believe to, to a certain extent, be like, you I'm have the right believe. person to do this. Yes. Um, or at least, so I, at least I wonder, trick yourself into thinking it. Yes, exactly. Which... <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. I, but that's what I wonder, though, is that it's it's again. And there's no there's no there's not going to be any like profound correct answer to this. Um, but I do just wonder, like, with a role like this and a film like this and, mm-hmm. and something that is, you know, the word Oscar bait gets thrown around. To me, it just I I avoid that word just because it means so many different things. What right. I would say is that it's it's pretty obvious that Cooper hopes to win awards with this and that it was likely made with that in mind of, of like oh this'll be an award winner. Like I like just the release date, the like you know, it's it's very clearly gunning for well, okay, but let's not but
0: let's be day. careful. Let's be careful. Because there's there's Bradley Cooper and then there's Netflix. Mm-hmm. and and yeah. look th- there's no question Netflix wants to win awards we don't even have to speculate like that no, that's of a, course, uh, yeah. obviously cuz this this was this film was not made to make a bunch of money in a theatrical release it didn't it, like mm-hmm. less than $500,000 at least domestically here in North America okay so and we know that's not Net- netflix's um business model
1: it's not their mo yeah
0: their mo is high profile bring people to subscribe To Netflix. So look, there's no question that Netflix wants Golden Globes. They missed out on that. They want Oscars. We'll see how that goes. Um, there's no question, but I don't know if we can just automatically assume the Bradley Cooper is also Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I, I, I don't know that we can assume that. I mean, you're right. Look, it's all conjecture here, and that's a lot of what we do. Um, and that's okay. Uh, we don't ever pretend like we're the end all be all that somehow we you know know everything about any of this it's a discussion but i just you know present the like flip side of that coin or the you know the the yin to your yang which is that i don't know that we can say that i mean 6 years is a lot of time to i i just don't know that any i mean clearly he's passionate about the content the subject matter and the story regardless
1: oh now, yeah and I, but i think that i think that to the reason, like, and as I said, i like it's a guess. Um, yeah. Okay. I, and I don't think it's the ethos of the film. Like, I don't think that the the outset was like, let's win awards. What do we got? Yeah. Uh, Leonard Bernstein. I'm gonna direct and start. <laughs> like, it wasn't like that sort of it thing. It wasn't engineered. But I definitely, th- I like, I definitely, I think anyone, anyone could kind yeah. of see that, like, just the subject matter of the film. Yeah. Um. Again, writer or uh, actor director kind of making this big, not necessarily debut, obviously, but but this this, perhaps in this context is dramatic. I mean, Cooper was primarily a comedic actor. He kind of changed that up when he did star is born, which again, mm-hmm. I still haven't seen, but, um, here, like it's, it's, I think it's clearly in the mindset and perhaps I worded it a little bit incorrectly in saying like that. It was like the goal or aim or want, mm-hmm. but perhaps more of like an expectation, like more, perhaps more of just yeah. that there was likely an expectation, on both cooper's part and people making it that not in in again not in a negative sense but yeah um that would just be my guess and but the reason that i bring that up too yeah i
0: was gonna say and you're gonna get there i think but okay then what does that mean to mm -hmm. you about the decisions that were made that show up in the actual film then like how do you think that impacted the film
1: well, and that's what I wonder, and that's the reason I sort of like went down this line. Is just mm-hmm. that I I wonder if it was a Scorsese or a Spielberg, or a director who wasn't playing the pivotal character, directing mm-hmm. beyond yep. this. And I'm not trying to say that it's it's like wrong in any way to you know got write you. into to star how, in a would film the performance
0: Would the performance potentially have been improved by having an objective? Director who is your first audience member as a performer, mm-hmm. would the f- would the performance and the film potentially have been improved had there been yeah
1: and like a, or would a, yeah. yeah would I have because it's yeah. and that's the other weird thing is that like the reason I also kind of got stuck on cooper's directing is because there's nothing that i really didn't like about the way that he directed the movie yeah um like there's nothing that stuck out to me i didn't i didn't fall in love with the direction there wasn't anything that i like saw that like beyond the visual stuff that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. um there wasn't well, the sound anything design that
0: I, is also amazing which sound I design know, is great yeah the sound design um, is really truly beautiful but i
1: do film. like to, but that's what's kind of interesting is that like i didn't i didn't love the film but not because of the choices that he made as a director but i wonder if him having been the director it was kind of the inadvertent cause to what i didn't like about the performance I gotcha. in that we'll sense. never we'll never uh, know we'll make, yeah possible. we'll never know yeah
0: but but um, here's my hypothesis this is my hypothesis i think that if you had if i if i could pull out my men in black flash your brain remove mm-hmm. your memory but only do it for leonard bernstein Right. So mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. like let's say like right now we're having this conversation. I pull my little men in black wand out and I flash your brain and you know nothing about Leonard Bernstein. You forget all about this conversation we just had and you forget about having seen this movie. And then I sneakily in a couple days say, hey, Colin, let's do Maestro <laughs> for our next episode. OK, now everybody who's listening knows what's going on. I know what's going on but you have no idea. You think we're recording Maestro for the first time and you don't know anything about Leonard Bernstein and you go watch this film and then mm-hmm. we have another second discussion about the film. My guess is that you would come away with a fairly different impression of the mm-hmm. film. That's my that's and my theory. That's my to theory. To
1: flip that around too, I think that that uh, like if we did the same thing with you, except the opposite, and that you yeah, knew yeah, yeah, more yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yep, think yep. that the the tricky thing there again gets back to our conversation about biopics in general too. Yeah, yeah. Is that when you're making them, you have to have an expectation that people are going to know, yes. who, or at least people well, who, well, who see, do know this, the person are going to see, right? see This yeah. is the catch
0: twenty two. See, this is the catch twenty two that you can't escape. Exactly. You, yeah. You yeah. you 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 want the built in valor of The like uh, uh, the allure, the that like, you know, the the notoriety, the fame, the you you want everything that comes along with like Leonard Bernstein. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to take everything else, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and therein lies the crux and you can never escape it. And so that's why I almost just wonder if this movie had been called Maestro, but it was about a totally made up person. Take away the prosthetic. So it's just Bradley Cooper. And, and leave everything else the same, mm-hmm. except, you know, it's no real names, no real, you know what I mean? Like, I, I I mean, and so that's, and so this is what I think, like the real, it's almost like you're kind of selling your soul kind of thing, you uh-huh. know, when you do uh-huh. a biopic, I think. Um, and I get it, though. I mean, look, I'm going to assume, I, I'm not, a, I, I don't want to be cynical about this. I'm going to really, I'm going to assume that Bradley Cooper you know deep down inside had a had a true passion for Leonard Bernstein his music who he like who he was to Bradley Cooper who he is yes, to Bradley yeah. Cooper like um and 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 that motivated him to make the film and i understand that you know i i can imagine that there would be people that i would love to make a film about right mm-hmm. um and i would be super tempted to make a you know to to make a film about them a biopic um i can totally understand that i can i can it's just mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. an interesting kind of philosophical uh question though about well it's you know, also
1: it's 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 curious too that um like scorsese left this to do the irishman which is in a way a biopic about uh, now now the, wait the irishman but Iri- irishman better or worse film than this film colin I, I liked the I I like the Irishman more I think than no. the Irishman. okay okay
0: okay yeah no I was just <laughs> But curious. even but I
1: mean Scorsese's also done like I mean we brought up the, the Aviator earlier for uh-huh. example and so that's why I'm actually curious cuz Spielberg I don't know if I I don't know if I I'm a big Spielberg fan but I don't know if I would have like I don't know if I would have liked Spielberg's take on this I have no idea but I I almost look at Scorsese as someone who has done I think more interesting biopics than spielberg like of course spielberg did lincoln well i mean um i i mean yeah uh you know and i like lincoln but i think that lincoln is pretty straightforward it's a pretty straightforward movie whereas i look at the aviator as kind of more of an examination of like the self in that kind of sense where right um so it, it does make me wonder again this is a an endless hypothetical um but i do i am very curious as to what Scorsese. I am mean, sure, there'll be a million YouTube videos about it one day about like what would a scorsese's Maestro been like. And okay,
0: Fableman's better or worse picture
1: than Maestro. I I like the Fableman's more definitely. Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really, yeah, But that's another I, interesting thing too is that Spielberg is essentially directing himself in that movie in a, in well, a roundabout way. <laughs> he, he's directing the
0: subject of himself, yes, yes. which is
1: different than actually than really. directing. Of course, now, no, but I just I, in a roundabout way, it's kind I, of. I
0: I would pay good money. To go see a film starring Spielberg, directed by Spielberg. That would be yes. now. If that... you just, you know,
1: put on some young makeup or something for that.
0: <laughs> no, digital, digital de aging. Yeah, but he still has the beard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I've really enjoyed our discussion on Maestro, and I, I actually think, uh, I, I am pleased with what I've learned from you. And I think you I think this conversation has really helped me kind of better understand through like needing to articulate it, you know, for this part, which is what I love mm-hmm. about doing this, um, because I really didn't know how I felt. And I think I can come away at the end of all of this and say, I enjoyed the film. I thought mm-hmm. it was a good film. And I think a big part of that was because I didn't have the baggage of the bio, the bio yeah. yeah. part. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I really enjoyed it. And so mm-hmm. I, and I appreciate you bringing all of, uh, of your background and understanding uh, to the discussion. It's really interesting. So I'm glad I picked it. This was fun. Yeah, this was awesome, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, everybody, uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, we will look forward to discussing some other film. I have no idea what it'll be. It's going to be Cullen's pick. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Will he get wild and crazy? Will he be conservative (laughs) and restrained? Who knows? Find out on the next episode of The Soldiers of Cinema. Until then, take care, everybody. See you on the flip side, kids. Bye-bye. Goodbye.